0: everybody. Welcome to episode number nine. This is a solo podcast, which means I'm just talking to you. I'm just kind of sharing some thoughts. And what occurred to me this week is this idea that the most problematic areas of my business have been a result of me thinking I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. Instead of being open to learning a new idea or a new possibility. So Mark Twain said it best. He said, what gets us into trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure that ain't so. And that has been my experience. I have in the past made up these rules that I think must be complied with. And I'll give you an example of a really simple one, a rule that I made up when I first started. And some of you have this rule right now. And that is, I have to work in the evenings and on weekends because That's when it's convenient for my clients. And I lived by that rule for quite a long time. And I realized that every single time I showed up at a client's house on a Sunday night, Uh, At 8.30 p.m., because that was what was convenient for the client, the meeting didn't go well. The clients were frazzled. They had just gotten the kids into bed. They had had no time to be together. The next day was work. Nobody was in the mood to talk about what the project was going to cost and how much time it was going to take. Not to mention, by the way, I was tired too. And it took me years and years of really buying into that paradigm before I was able to say, wait a minute, no, I do not have to show up in the evening. I do not have to work weekends. That is not how professionals behave. We sell a valuable service. It's not a service for everyone. The reality is not everyone is going to be able to afford your services. But we provide a professional service that's worth taking time off work in order to engage with us. In other words, it's worth it for your clients to miss a couple of hours at the office to focus on this important work that's going to be done, A, because it's expensive, and B, because it's going to impact their life for a whole long time. So that's one simple paradigm that really ruled me and had me for many years. So in today's podcast, I thought I would focus on some of the other rules that I have either made up for myself in the past and now busted through, or rules I hear when I'm on the road speaking with the business of design community. Uh, And by the way, some of these rules are really entrenched in the community and they go very, very deep. I call this episode, for lack of a better title, uh, Stuff You Think You Know, uh, because for years it was stuff I thought I knew. And it turns out, you know what? If the rules aren't working for you, you're the boss. And the boss gets to make the rules. The very moment I realized, wait a minute, really, the boss gets to make the rules, I was able to see that anything that wasn't working for me in my business was open to review and was open to change. And it really is about opening your mind to the possibility there might be a different way to do something that you've done regularly for years even. That was true for me. Some of the habits that I had grown accustomed to were ways of working that I did for years and years and years. And so breaking beyond them was a little bit challenging at first, but once I saw the results, oh my gosh, I was so ready to let go of other things I knew weren't serving me. So let me start off with something I hear A lot when I'm speaking uh, on the road or talking to business of design community members, and that is this one. You cannot bill, this is the popular thinking, I would say, you cannot bill clients for time it takes to correct deficiencies. I hear this a lot, and I understand where it comes from because I used to be in this camp as well. Well, we ordered a sofa, something's wrong with it, it's not the client's. Fault. So I'll have to correct it and eat all those costs associated with correcting it as the design professional. And that just isn't a reality. The reality is, any task that the client would have to do if you weren't on the job is billable hours. In other words, if the client ordered directly a sofa and the wrong sofa came for whatever reason, the client would then have to pick up the phone talk to the vendor, the supplier or manufacturer, whomever it is, and convince them to correct the problem. Sometimes the client would get great service and sometimes that client would get terrible service. But the reality is just because it happened on your watch doesn't make you responsible. So what I used to say to clients is, uh, don't worry about anything. Uh, We'll take care of everything. Uh, You won't even see any mistakes. I used to say that in my kind of naivete that, uh, any mistakes that happen, don't worry, I'm a professional and we'll handle them. And now I say to the clients like, are you kidding me? We deal with mistakes all day long. My job frequently feels like that moment where you're sitting at home waiting for the dishwasher repairman to show up. I've got that scenario happening on two, three, four, five, six projects at a time. That's a lot of responsibility, a lot of pressure, a lot of liability. And of course, that time is billable. So Here's an example. Uh, A client came to us and complained about her hourly fees, which happens, and this was many years ago. We showed her the log sheets uh, and she noticed that it said, uh, received a fabric. Uh, it was a wrong fabric, and so we contacted the supplier, let them know it was a wrong fabric. We contacted the upholsterer, let him know that the fabric we had anticipated arriving in a week wasn't going to be there in a week, and we uh, ordered uh, the fabric again. None of the confusion was our fault. The uh, fabric manufacturer had just made a mistake, so the client said it isn't fair that you would charge me uh, 15 minutes uh, to do that work. And I explained to her, I totally understand why you think that's not fair, but here's the scenario. If we didn't do all those checks, the wrong fabric would have been delivered to the upholsterer and he would have upholstered the sofa in the wrong fabric. Then that wrongly upholstered sofa would be delivered to your house, which means movers would be involved, which means there's another fee. You would receive the sofa and say, oh my gosh, that's the wrong fabric. Kimberly, you've really disappointed me. And then we'd have to hire the movers to come back and pick up the sofa and return it to the upholsterer shop. Now I have to order new fabric. That's going to take however, many weeks that takes, who's paying for that fabric? Well, it's not the client's fault, so am I paying for the fabric? Really? Well, in this scenario, yeah, I probably would have to pay for the fabric because I know better than to ship fabric directly from the manufacturer to the upholsterer. I know it has to come to my office first. First, we look at a CFA, a cutting for approval. Once that's done, we get the bolts of fabric delivered to our office. We double check again. This is the correct fabric. We label it, and it gets courier to whomever needs to work with it. So I said to the client, you know, it took... 15 minutes of our time to make sure that this problem didn't go all the way down the line. It would have been thousands of dollars had we not caught the problem. And then she said, okay, I totally understand that. That makes sense to me. So the reality is if you describe the situation to a client with logic, they very often say, oh, okay, I get it. And I did one better for myself after quite a few years, getting comfortable charging with deficiencies because that was something I didn't want to do. And by the way, there are parts of my job I love. I love doing the planning and I love picking the fabrics and I love shopping for the furniture, but there are parts of my job I don't like. And up at the very top of that list is Fixing deficiencies. Not my favorite thing to do. So, why would I take the thing that I hate doing, the thing that's really hard, and do that for free? That's kind of crazy, right? So, clients will forgive you for charging for things once they understand that if you weren't there, they'd be doing it themselves. Factor in this as well. You probably have better relationships with every supplier, manufacturer, retail uh, outlet than your client would. So that means you're probably going to get better service than your client would. So when something does go wrong that you could not have avoided, uh, you are then able to pick up the phone and say to a supplier, hopefully it's one of your key suppliers, Hey, we have a problem. And they're going to react very quickly to fix that problem because you are a repeat and a volume customer. Whereas Mrs. Smith all by herself, "Mm," they may or may not work really hard to make that problem go away. So lots of advantages to hiring us and allowing us to deal with the many, many deficiencies that absolutely will occur on the project. So I told you before I used to say to clients, hey, I'm a professional, don't worry about anything. We'll handle any mistakes. You won't even know about them. Now, instead, I say there are mistakes on a daily basis. Many we catch. Many we cannot catch, and I can give them an example. If we order a refrigerator, uh, we order it from the manufacturer, it's made who knows where, it is delivered to the manufacturer's shop, and then it's shipped to our clients. At no point in that chain are we involved. In other words, we don't go to where that refrigerator is manufactured and check it out before it's put in the box and wrapped and shipped. And then we don't open that box when it arrives at the supplier's uh, studio or warehouse. So we really are at the mercy of other people we don't know, making sure that that product is in perfect condition. And guess what? Those people disappoint us all the time. It happens on a regular basis. So now we've added to our contract to go one better the fact that, yes, there will be deficiencies. Yes, we will handle them. And yes, you will be billed for the time it takes to handle them. But we're going to handle them efficiently and effectively. And we have a little leverage with all of our suppliers because we are repeat customers. And clients appreciate that and respect that, provided you put it out there and put it up front. So if you are still doing deficiencies for free, I'm really offering you a lifeline here. Stop. Anything the client would have to do if you weren't on the job is billable time. So make sure you're logging those hours and make sure you're tracking how much time it takes. And that's going to teach you as well, who are my best suppliers when there's a problem? I love buying fabric from so-and-so, but every time there's a problem, they try to push back and they make my life miserable. Whereas when I buy fabric from this other supplier, they're awesome when there's a mistake made. So we have some power as well to shape How suppliers and manufacturers deal with us. Use your power wisely, uh, and definitely, you absolutely can build clients for deficiencies. That was a long rant. Gosh, I feel better already. I hope you feel better too. I'm gonna jump into the second thing here, which I hear a lot, and that is you can't build clients for the time it takes to do the accounting and the bookkeeping, uh, to which I say, why not? why can't you? Where's that written? Show me the rule book. Uh, The reality is if a client would have to do the task, if you weren't on the job, then you can bill for that time. Now in our office, we have a sliding scale of fees. So I don't bill $325 an hour to the clients to reconcile their account. In other words, I don't bill my hourly rate to invoice them, collect those invoices, uh, update the tracking sheet, any of those tasks. All of those tasks, by the way, can be performed by someone who is not an interior design professional. So for many of you who are thinking, gosh, I'm at the point where I really need help, you probably are looking for someone like a bookkeeper who's very detail-oriented, whose time can be tracked, to each specific client and then build forward. And if you haven't heard me say this before, the rule of thumb that I'm aware of in business is three times markup. So if you're paying your bookkeeper $25 an hour, you'd be able to bill that to clients at $75 an hour. And that will cover your overhead, that covers your insurance, your association fees, hours that they spend sitting at their desk that you're not billing the clients for, etc. So, you absolutely can bill clients for the time it takes to write up a purchase order, to request a quote from a supplier, to create a client estimate. In fact, that time is extremely valuable uh, to you and to the clients. You cannot do the job without having a proper chain of paperwork. So uh, relieve yourself of this rule. Let it go. It doesn't work for you. It isn't accurate. Those of you who work by yourselves, the number one question I get is, but if I can't bill the client for my hourly rate as the principal designer, and I'm only me, what do I do? And I think the easiest fix is to come up with an administrative rate and don't attach a name to it. In other words, you know, you're still doing the work, but you don't have to make that obvious to the client. You might uh, do what we do in our office. The person who does all of that work is called our finance administrator. So there's no reason you can't have a tag for logging hours that's finance administration. And it has everything to do with all of that paperwork that has to go through. And by the way, if you're thinking of hiring, that's the spot to hire for. Most of us are great at decorating and we don't really need anybody to go out and go sourcing for us and pick beautiful fabrics and pick beautiful furniture. I love doing that part. I want people behind me who can then pick up the pieces and order things and track things and get them delivered and do all of that task work. So, consider that as you are thinking of hiring. And for those of you who do have bookkeepers, make sure you're training them to log time for clients. Um, get them to be aware of the fact that you can bill their time out and therefore make their service more affordable and therefore use them more frequently. So, it's a win win for everybody. And um, we are in this business to be profitable. So make no apologies for that. Another rule that I hear from time to time, uh, has to do with this idea of how we charge and most frequently, uh, people will say to me things like you can't double dip. In other words, you can't charge an hourly rate and charge on product that you purchase on behalf of the client and charge on the labor that you secure on behalf of the client. And the reality is you absolutely can. If you think of your cell phone, you pay for the phone itself. You pay for data, you pay for time to talk. Uh, There are other things we use our cell phones for in terms of streaming, etc. When you travel, you buy a package that lets you roam like home. So the reality is many successful business models are built on a multi-tiered system for billing. And that is true for interior design practices as well. We absolutely charge an hourly rate uh, that, you know, covers us in terms of our overhead and association fees and all that kind of stuff. And then we absolutely make a percentage on the items we procure on behalf of a client, whether that's goods or services. Um, Now, Depending on where you live, you do always want to be aware of the law, and that can vary by county, by town, by region, certainly by state, by province. So make sure you are aware of what the law is and working in compliance with the law. Architects uh, are a big part of the business of design community, and we talk to them regularly, and they're frustrated by the fact that they simply cannot make a living only charging an hourly rate. And this is a cautionary tale for interior design professionals. If architects can't make a living when they only charge an hourly rate, and by the way, they only charge an hourly rate because that's what they're allowed to do within the law. Um, If they can't make a living doing that, then why do we think we can make a living doing that? The reality is many architects are now opening up interior design shops uh, in combination with their architect's firm so they can sell product because they know that's the only way they're really going to be able to be successful and make money in a business and a career path that they love. And by the way, worked so hard to get to. So remove this idea from your mind that you are double dipping. That is not it at all. What you are doing is creating for yourself a successful business model. That's what business professionals do. And being transparent about how that is going to play out with your clients is very helpful. Certainly in my case, it helps a lot that we share our discounts because I'm able to say that by sharing my discount, you're really getting our project management fees for free. Um, that's true almost exclusively across the board. So any issue that feels like it might be problematic for you or you've struggled with it in the past, I encourage you to put that issue up front in your contract. Figure out the wording that makes sense for you, that is comforting to clients, uh, but keeps them informed and keeps you in line in terms of your commitment to the project and your integrity, because that's really important to me as well. I want my integrity to be intact. That's uh, a priority in my office. So clients need to know that, yes, we bill our hourly rate, but we also take a markup or a markdown in our case on goods and services. The next one on my hit list uh, comes at me on a regular basis through the forum. In other words, people watch a course and then they will say, um, Kimberly, I understand that when you go to the presentation, you present everything, uh, but I'm not clear when you present the cabinetry or I'm not clear when you present the light fixtures, uh, et cetera. And the answer is we present everything. And for me, that was outrageous when I was first suggested, could not happen. You don't understand. It's impossible. It will never work. And then when I finally surrendered and thought, okay, I'm going to try it on this one project. Uh, I was in tears because it was so much more disciplined than I had been used to working. It was a muscle I wasn't keeping active. So, when it came time to do sourcing for clients, I would do my best and then we'd have a meeting scheduled and I wouldn't have everything. And I would say, Oh, don't worry about it. I will bring that stuff to you next time. And there was always the next time. There was always another meeting required. Over and over and over again, I would meet with clients until they would run out of time, they would run out of patience, they would run out of money, and I would get Canadian fired, which I've described before, which is getting about 70% of the way through the project when the client finally says, whoa, we're just going to stop everything right here. We love everything you've done, and we're just going to finish it ourselves because now you've started it. We know exactly where you're headed, uh, and we're just going to run down to you know home goods or home sets and finish it ourselves. And, um, that was a terrible blow to my business because it meant no repeat, no referral customers. And it was damaging to my ego. Let's be honest. My self-confidence really suffered when you get let go at that stage of the project. It feels like a massive loss because you're picturing it Photograph for a magazine and that dream is dead right then. So in order to prevent that from ever, ever happening to me again, I wanted to create a system and that would be those 15 steps I talk about all the time where the clients would get on at step one and not get off until step 15 too often they were jumping off at step eight or nine in my former process. So now I want to create this streamlined system. And I have a streamlined system where I meet the clients at the consultation, they sign the contract, we get the retainer if that's uh, required with an hourly fee contract, it is with flat fee contracts, it isn't, we collect the balance up front in that case. And then step three, I show up at their house with all my trades, which let's be honest, is super impressive. But, um, posing aside, it's an extremely helpful day for me because I'm able to pick the brains of every single person I need to help me fulfill on the promise of this project. Um, and that's the second time they've seen me at step three. They saw me at step one, then they see me at step three. The next time they see me at step five and I've had, I've got everything selected. Uh, it's a shock to the clients when they see how much that costs. There's no question about it. But we've talked about sticker shock before. Uh, If sticker shock always prevented us from buying things. Not one of us would have a car, you know, none of us would have, you know, an expensive piece of jewelry. Um, So sticker shock will not stop people from buying what you're selling. If you give them all the information up front, in other words, if you take the client's wish list and you price every single solitary thing on that wish list and you make all those decisions, those hundreds, sometimes thousands of decisions that the client would have to make over the course of, you know, six months, nine months, a year, two years. If you make all of those decisions up front during step four, then at step five, you're a hero. Yes, it will be more than the client wants to spend. It always is. Have you noticed that (laughs) clients want to spend X number of dollars and then they have a wish list that doesn't match? There's no connect there. They want to spend $20,000 and renovate the kitchen and two bathrooms and you know that's not possible. Sometimes it isn't that clear cut. Sometimes they say they want to spend $50,000 and decorate the living room and you think that's really doable. But then you find out they want a wall of Built ins that's 20 feet long, and they need all new lighting and wiring, and then they want to replace the plaster crown molding, and the fireplace is going to be um, gutted and rebuilt and made larger and more grand. And so, suddenly, that $40,000 isn't enough. So, we're not clairvoyant. What we can do is take that client's wish list price everything on it, make every decision, and then show up at step five and say, Hey, this is what you asked for. And this is what it's going to cost. And we are ready and poised to make this happen for you. All you got to do now is write a check. And in my experience, clients are thrilled to be able to afford everything on their wish list. And when they can't, when they have to make those hard decisions, more often than not, they will break it up into phases. I've had uh, the experience very few times that clients wanted to save money by choosing less quality items. In other words, if they wanted a sub-zero refrigerator, it's very unlikely they're going to end up with a Sears refrigerator just to meet the budget. Uh, They're probably going to increase the budget in order to get the items that they want because they know they're going to be using those things for many, many years and they have a specific lifestyle in mind we are not selling them a refrigerator. We're not selling them a new kitchen. We're selling them Sunday brunch with the family gathered around the island. And we're selling them a Christmas party with everybody hanging out in the kitchen and uh, gathered around the fireplace in the great room. So always keep in mind that the client's wish list never matches the client's budget, but that's okay. We're not clairvoyant. What we can do though is make all those decisions upfront, present every Everything at step five, and I mean everything, and then allow the client from there to decide what the budget is. And if you haven't taken those first five courses, steps one through five uh, at businessofdesign.com, you're really missing out because I guarantee if this is new information to you, or if you're only partially engaged in what I'm talking about, it will change your business and it will change your life. And I know that because it did for me and it has done so for hundreds, if not thousands of other design professionals who reach out to us on a regular basis. And Cheryl, by the way, did a blog post the other day, a hundred testimonials. We get testimonials so frequently and for years uh you know we acknowledged them at the office and we would share them around saying oh my gosh look at this this is awesome but we weren't saving them in about Maybe six months ago, we decided to start saving those good testimonials that come in, and we have well over 100 now. You'll see them in our books. You'll see them in uh, on the website, and uh, very often, we like to include your photo and where you're from, uh, so everybody knows that those are living, breathing testimonials. Uh, we're not churning them out in some back room, so thank you, by the way, for those. They mean a lot to us. Uh, you have no idea how invested we all are in your well-being, and And so, uh, your compliments mean, mean a lot to us. Thank you. Falling also under the category of stuff you think, you know, uh, was this idea, at least for me, that clients would not pay me up front, that they would be afraid to give me all the money up front because what happens if I ran away and took their money? Uh, And of course, as a consumer, that was my concern. You know, I have been burned in the past by companies that did not do what they were supposed to do, did not perform the work they were supposed to perform and left me feeling less than enthusiastic about working with them and going forward. So I put myself in the consumer's shoes and I thought, oh man, I'm never going to be able to get people to pay me up front because they won't trust me and why should they? Uh, The reality is more and more businesses are asking for money up front because we're living in a world unfortunately, where people do sometimes try to get away with things. And uh, most clients, in fact, I would say 100% of the clients who I've worked with understand that getting paid upfront means I can continue to focus on the things that I'm good at, like designing your home and effectively running your project. I can't do that if I'm constantly chasing people for money. So we have rules about when we get paid, how much we get paid, and then what happens if we don't get paid on time. So one of the things that's going around a lot now, a lot of people are saying, why should I take a 50 or 75% deposit on goods? When every other store in town takes 100% upfront the minute you place the order. And I say, you're right. Why should you? If you're tasked with buying furniture on behalf of clients, and buying accessories, etc., then absolutely take 100% up front. That's what most stores do. Uh, You go into Pottery Barn, let's say, and you purchase something, they're going to charge you the full amount, and then it's going to take so many weeks for it to arrive. And if it's in perfect, pristine condition, terrific. If it isn't, they still have your money and now you have a problem. And that's a reality of the society that we live in. In our office, we do take a 75% deposit and collect 25% two weeks prior to installation or, um, completion. However, we do that because we are selling both goods and services. So if it was only goods, we'd take a hundred percent upfront, but because we're also selling services and sometimes those services involve construction, uh, we think it's fair for the clients to understand that we will take a draw on that. And still 75% gets us a lot of the way there, especially because we still take a hundred percent on those items. We must pay a hundred percent up front for. That includes fabrics. The minute the fabric is cut, we own it. So we take a hundred percent on all fabrics right up front. Uh, we take a hundred percent on any antiques, any artwork, any appliances, all of those items require us to pay a hundred percent before we even receive them. So we in turn ask the clients to pay us 100%. When it comes to trust, what I've learned is that trust is not something that happens on the first day you meet the client. And I'm not asking for a big check on the first day I meet the client typically. What I am asking for is them to trust me to get them to step five, which is a much smaller ask. And I can point to the fact that I've been in business since 1991. They can go online, they can see my website, they can see the testimonials. I've got some skin in the game, it's very unlikely that I'm suddenly going to run away with their money when I have so many clients who are saying, we've worked with them, they're reputable, you can trust them. So if you're brand new, if you don't have that backup, if you don't have the website, if you don't have former customers, you might expect clients to be a little bit nervous paying you upfront, but chances are you're not billing as much as I'm billing as well. It tends to work itself out. The reality is though, as the business owner, you owe it to yourself to create a system and a business model that supports you and your lifestyle. And if getting paid upfront makes your life easier, then absolutely that's the direction you want to go in. In the event a client balks at that, point out that a lot of stores take 100% upfront and then when you finally get the item um, you have to trust that that store is still going to be in business. Point to the fact that you have a website, that you have other clients who can vouch for your uh, reputation and that will speak to the fact that you have integrity. So don't immediately cave when a client says, well, I don't know if I feel comfortable giving you hundred percent upfront. Instead, be prepared for that question and have your response ready to go. The last item I want to talk about today has to do again with the client's budget. Just because a client tells you they want to spend $40,000, remember that does not mean you have to give them everything on their wish list for $40,000. We are not magicians. We live in the real world. And when a client tells me their budget is $40,000 and that sounds reasonable, it's fine if I say to them, well, that sounds reasonable, but I absolutely do not know what everything on your wish list will cost. So we have to make a decision here. Do you want me to price everything on your wish list and then you can decide what you want to buy and what you don't want to buy and where you want to make compromises? Or do you want me to select only items that fall within the $40,000? And then, by the way, I get to decide what you compromise on and what you exclude. And in my experience, 99.9% of the clients will say, price everything on my wish list. And then when we meet at step five, at that point, we'll make some determinations about how this is going to go down. And I've had this... Experience many, many times where the budget is... In fact, I shared on a podcast a few weeks ago, and a lot of people commented on $750,000 for a budget. That's amazing. That is an amazing budget. But in this case, it was only half of what the clients will ultimately spend because they're doing a very large addition and a build. So um, the reality is big or small budget is a relative term. And it really cannot be something that you can hang your hat on until you price every single thing on that list. So... When the client gives us a budget, yes, we want to respect the budget, absolutely we do, but we also want to respect the wish list and the lifestyle that client is trying to achieve. So again, Feel Free to use my contract. It really speaks to this very well that we will price everything on your wish list and then you, the customer, the client are going to be in charge of what the budget is because you're going to decide if you want to buy everything on your wish list. Or if you want to buy part of it now and part of it later, or if you want to make some compromises. In other words, you're not going to get that sub-zero refrigerator. Instead, you're going to go for a less expensive model. It's always up to the clients at the end of the day what they spend on the project. I don't want to push them into spending more than they're comfortable with because I want every client to be a long-term client. That's how I start every project, thinking this is going to be great. We're going to work together for years. And I've been around long enough that I'm now doing projects for the second, third, and fourth time for some customers, which is amazing because you really then have a shorthand to working together. And you know what they own that can be reused. Uh, You speak their language. You understand what's important to them. It's so wonderful when you finally get a... really rich Mine of clients who you have worked with before. So I don't want to push people into spending too much. If anything, I get them to pull back, you know, frequently. I'll say, you know what, if this is too much, why don't we break it into two phases? Or if it were me, I could totally live with the powder room. Let's just change the wallpaper and add a new light fixture and call it a day. So I can make recommendations, but ultimately it is the client's decision how much to spend. And it is not our job. To take a number that is made up at the first meeting and run around town like a crazy person trying to find everything on their wish list to match that number. It never goes that way. So I remind myself frequently that the client's wish list and the client's budget typically don't match. That's okay. I price the wish list and then the client gets to decide on the budget. That seems to make everybody happy. And if that makes you happy, that makes me thrilled. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. If I have missed some favorites of yours that fall under the category of stuff you think you know, I would love to hear about them. I look through the forum on a regular basis. As you know, I answer those questions uh, almost daily now. Over 6,000, I think, responses online that is a lot of responses. And some of it is repetitive. So some of it I can cut and paste from former responses. There's no question. Uh, But you guys surprise me with new questions and new thoughts all the time. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for being here. I look forward to speaking with you next time.